up, everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You listen to the Pace Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pace Rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pace Rules Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers post lottery edition. There is good news and there is bad news. The Pacers are in seventh heaven. They pick seventh in the first round. They also have picks. 26, 29, and 32, funnily enough, which we thought we'd lost, but we have come away with four picks in the top 32, which I think is not the very best we could hope for, but one of the better outcomes that we could hope for as a fan base. I'm joined tonight by Alex and Woody once again joining us on the show. Alex, I'll I'll kick off with yourself Woody and I were saying before the show how you kind of talked us down. I've been through the entire uh, grieving process for uh, the the number one pick. How do you feel now that it's been about 10 hours since the lottery and you've had a lot of time to process? You know what I'll say? If the Pistons had won the lottery, I think you would have heard TV smashing from Melbourne all the way through to Tassie, all the way through to Adelaide, Adelaide, all all across Australia. You would have heard it in Indy if Pistons yep. won the lottery. So the fact that they moved down to fifth, maybe this is me being extra petty or a hater, but love it. that made, that made me happy. So, yeah, look, obviously we all wanted Wemby, right? Like the odds weren't in our favor, but at the end of the day, the silver lining for Pacers fans is that, A, yeah, the Pistons who are in our division didn't get him. Wemby goes out to the West, which is great. We got the 32nd pick which would have been the 50th pick. So, hey, we moved up yeah. 28 spots today, boys. That's the uh, that's the silver lining for any Pacers fan who's, who's a little bit disappointed. You have to consider the entire package, Woody, in that we have four picks in the top 32, even though, you know, we didn't move down. There's got to be a silver lining here. But overall, we've got the optionality, as I think Kevin Pritchard terms it, to make some moves here. Yeah, absolutely. And um, he's, he's a genius, Kevin Pritchard, at making small moves that sort of come in handy right when you need them. I don't think that's all we'll be dealing with. I mean, I don't even know if we all know the exact package we got in the Jordan Mora trade. I know there's other little second rounders and pieces there. So he's got a lot of tools to play with. There's going to be a lot of teams looking for a facilitator team to help them get big moves done. I think he'll acquire assets and I don't know what the big moves are going to be. He said he won't take four players or five players or whatever it was with all those picks. Um, but I'm excited to see what he does. And he's a, he's a creative genius. Um, I don't know if we're going to move up, find something extra, but I'm excited to see it unfold. I want to talk to you about moving up firstly, because you have to consider that, I mean, the Athletic, who are a fairly reputable organization, have already put out their, their mock and said that Portland will look to trade the number three pick. Houston will look to trade the number four pick. So looking at those two players available if you fall in love with someone, if you fall in love with Cam Whitmore, if you really, really like Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson and believe that Charlotte's going to pick the other one, then Alex, you, you've you got the assets to be able to swing a trade. You've got good young pieces. You've got a, you know, flexible or, or you know, enticing contract on a sliding scale in Buddy Heald. And you have the ability to take back a large amount of salary as well. So you could make it enticing for a tax paying team or a team with a bad salary to try and swap places. Yeah. I think the question will be, is a team that's blowing it up is a team that we've talked about, right? Like the Raptors, do they want to trade up 
into the top three or four? That will be the question because if you're the Trailblazers and you really want to com- – like if you actually want to compete with Lillard, which yeah, I know they say they do, but they build a pretty mediocre roster every year. But look, maybe they say Toronto will give you the third pick if you give us Siakam and this or that, right? So that's a more enticing offer in my opinion. Than what the Pacers have, but of course, but but yeah, you're right. I think that having the seventh pick, then having you know 26, 29, 32 expiring contracts, like it's not like the Pacers don't have anything to offer. I even think Isaiah Jackson still has value. Chris Duarte might have value to some yep. teams still. So like, yeah, the, the Pacers absolutely have assets to go either way. I mean, we could be talking about a similar deal to to the Aaron Holiday for Isaiah Jackson. I know it was more complicated than that, but that was a deal the Pacers did a couple of years ago to get up into the early 20s. I think that's more likely than us trading up with the Trailblazers. But yeah, I'm more excited to see, and I'll throw this to you, Woody. What do you, what do you reckon the Pacers are going to do? Obviously, it's impossible to say, but with those 26, 29, 32, 55, because there's no way. You're not keeping them up. I would be surprised if we even keep two of those. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. I don't actually know what the perfect move is. I mean, it all comes down to what... Um, our basketball brains, Kerr Pritchard and his team want, do they want to move up? Do they want to go get a win now piece? Um, are they set on somebody at seven? I think the only comment we really saw was two comments from Pritchard was we were one ball away from landing Wemby and his heart was racing. And the other one was that he really likes the seven spot and he's excited about the prospects there. So I think the most likely course of action will probably be we pick at seven. And then we get creative with the rest. I think we'll go and play a safe bet and try and get a top-end talent there. The quote that it sticks out from last year from him was, every draft has five to eight really, really valuable impact players, every draft. And he's very confident at the draft that he can go and get one of those and then get really creative with the other picks. Just in a vacuum, what are you guys thinking? Say we were to put, was it 26, 29, 32 on the table say we just did that for a straight swap for one pick in the first round what do, where do you think that value sort of lands with that package i think you're getting late lottery for that you're probably getting around the 15th 16th pick or even the slightly out of the lottery for me if you if you're packaging together three picks you've got to also consider that 32 is a really valuable pick because it's a guaranteed you know free hit at the best remaining guys that weren't selected in the first round so there's always a team in the league that looks at that 31st, 32nd, 33rd pick and says, we could find Draymond Green here. We could try and find, try and find the best player that wasn't drafted in the first round and a guy that's going to have the ch- a chip on their shoulder and a guy that's going to you know play like that um, as seen most famously with Green. But Alex, what do you think? I mean, I think you're looking in the teens and you're probably looking in the mid-teens. Yeah, I, I think somewhere... 15 to 20, maybe that's what it gets you. I keep coming back to the Thunder trade a year ago. They had to give up three firsts that had protections on them, I think, to move up into the lottery. So, 12, yeah. Yeah, you have to give up quite a bit to get up. The only thing I will say is that the pace has got Nemhard at 31 last year. Yeah, so exactly. it's not out of the question that they just say, you know what, we'll keep this pick. As you said, it's a super valuable contract and maybe they just get a steal there. But I want to, I want us to round back, boys, to the, to the seventh pick because – yeah. Look, at the end of the day, it's not every day the pace is drafting the top 10. I know we did it last year. That was the first time since 89. Now, back-to-back years, there's going to be some good players here that that fit the team's need. I think, you know, I tweeted this out, and it's kind of 50-50, which is funny to me in the replies. Uh, I asked Taylor Hendricks or Jarris Walker. 
yep. both of those guys are available, who are you taking? It's a tough one. Like for me, they both kind of offer something a little bit different and I'm okay if you lean one way or the other. But uh, I know, I know. well, we haven't talked about prospects a whole lot on here, but Woody, you've been doing deep dives a little bit on Twitter. Just give the, give the people listening who maybe don't know about Taylor or don't know about Walker what, what they can expect from either one of those two. Yeah, so I've had a good look at both of them throughout the year. I really like both. I prefer Walker. I think I've been pretty open about that. I'm pretty high on Walker. Um, I think people get caught up with Hendricks. They see the the real promising signs of the strengths, which are absolutely wonderful strengths. I mean, we look at his build. He's 6'9". He's a true 6'9". Good wingspan, good athleticism, can really shoot the ball. So automatically people appear 6'9", moves well, can shoot the ball. They think, oh, it's Paul George 2.0. And I think that's a bit... Um, it's, it's yeah, a dangerous, I, 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 dangerous, it's dangerous to make. Super <laughs> dangerous. And, uh, you know, when you hear that, you think, well, that player with that skill set, that comparison should be really high in the lottery, should be top five. He should be, but he never seems to be. It's always like, oh, you know, he climbs to seven, you know, but then he sort of dwindles out in mocks to, you know, that nine to ten sort of slot. And I think the big concern for him, I've sort of broken him down into two parts. He's got without the ball and with the ball. When he catches the ball and he lets the ball go, he shoots it. He looks like Paul George, smooth mechanics, really nice shot. Um, people close out on him quickly and he blows past them, gets to the ring. Good athlete, is a really good athlete and finishes strong. He doesn't have any shot creation and people don't seem to know this. They just see Silky 6'9", good athlete. They think he can put the ball on the ground. He was awful. He he puts the ball on the ground once, gets past that hard close out, which he gets because he's a really good shooter. That's where his easy points come from. But more than one dribble, more than two dribbles, he gets really lost. And I think with the guys who are 6'9", super athletes, the ones that really stand out are the ones who can grab a rebound and go coast to coast. And it just didn't happen. Like he'd give the ball up to the guard that wraps around the back. He'd move down the court. And the comparison I make is when he runs end to end, it's Jalen Smith more than Paul George. I know that's the Paul George comparison is there. The pacer I see in him is Jalen Smith, but I think he does a lot more when he gets to his spots. So it's sort of get down the court, either get into the high post, catch the ball or split to a corner, ready for an open shot. He does that the exact same way Jalen Smith does, but he's a much better product when it comes to putting the ball in the ring. So I think that's my sort of comparison. I don't think there's a specific player that he's exactly like. And I think when he gets the ball in his hands, I think more Michael Porter Jr. He'll just let it go or one dribble and that ball's going to the ring. Not a great facilitator, but he can. Um, That's my sort of comparison for him where Jairus Walker, he has a couple of little moves, self-creation, throw the ball to him on the block or in the high post and bully ball he'll get to the ring and he'll score he'll create for himself he's not going to blow you away with crazy handles fade away that sort of stuff competent shooter the numbers are good doesn't look perfect bit slow release um the defensive upside for him well uh hendrix is a good defender and he's a really good weak side defender i think jaris walk is a special defender the wingspan's crazy he's a disruptor he seems to have one or two plays every game on defense that just change the energy for the whole game and just picks up things and whether it's a block of steel getting into a passing lane and just setting something up taking a charge um and i think people seem to have a knock on upside for him they think oh you know the floor's safe but the upside is not there i disagree i think his upside's crazy and uh, he does have a little more polish than uh, Hendricks outside of the pure jump shot. It's a weird comparison. Both great players. Eileen Walker, but I see the love um, with Hendricks because we don't know if he's going to develop that 
self-creation until it gets to the league. Some players never do. Some players do. The ones that do become superstars, the ones that don't, they fizzle out. I think with Jarris, what I'll add there is, yeah, I, I agree. People are underrating his offensive upside to me. Defensively, like, he has all first-team defense potential, but everyone's kind of questioning because he's a bit slow-footed and he relies a lot on the floater is what I'd say about his offense. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't know how much you've watched of them, Adam, but I, I would lean towards Walker as of right now. But as I said earlier, like, I would not hold it against someone for, for having Hendricks if he's there at seven as well. Yeah, I've seen none of these guys, and I feel like I'm going <laughs> to go into a deep, dark YouTube hole over the next couple of months in making sure that I <laughs> have a very, very well-formed opinion of these guys, but I'm not going to pretend that that I know much about them other than the fact that six foot seven and 249 pound wrecking ball just just gets my 90s basketball excitement flowing like big boy like, oh i love the idea of of a, a you know a was, really I think he has like a solid seven two, individual seven two wingspan or something yeah was, seven, seven, seven two and three quarters at the conference yeah, yeah. That's, that's ridiculous yeah yeah it's fantastic and and you know i think you look at what this team currently has, if it just decides to keep the seventh pick and then trade away the rest for a bunch of future picks or whatever the case may be. And you know, you got Miles Turner, you got Buddy Heald, you got Tyrese Halliburton, you got Benedict Matherin. We've always spoken about the need. Oh, I'm going to say it again, Alex. I'm going <laughs> to say it again. We need a long forward defender that can go up against Tatum, Giannis, these guys in the East that are going to eat our lunch and have done for many years and will continue to do until such time as we have a guy that we can just sick on them. And, you know, I think there's nothing better than being able to showcase a good young defender um, on, you know, uh, the greatest players in the league. And you've seen that, you know, in in young Paul George, you saw it in young Kawhi Leonard in, in San Antonio. If you get a guy with insane defensive upside, then the, the offense can kind of flow from it. The confidence can flow from it and it can be a special fit on any team. You know why I don't worry about the offense, boys? We have one of the best playmakers mm-hmm. in basketball. So yeah. any kind if he's of open, he'll be found. Any kind of self-creation problems... You can figure it out. That's why I wasn't worried too much about Mather and Sandal last year because we have the best passer in basketball. So that's the big thing. It's funny, Adam, you, you were talking about uh, you want someone to stop Giannis. I want someone who can stop Tobias Harris. I want someone <laughs> who can stop Harrison Barnes from dropping 30 on us. Like, yep. uh, Just give me someone who can stop someone on the wing. That's all I'm asking for. The, the crazy thing with Walker is he is so versatile. I know we always hear defensive versatility and it's really loosely used, but... He could go play, he would say playoffs come along. He could go and guard Tatum for 45 minutes, do a fantastic job, be a disruptor, get physical with him, slide his feet, stay in front of him. That crazy wingspan is just everywhere. It's going to be picking pockets and making it as hard as possible. They're going to get their 35s and whatnot because that's who they are. They're superstars. But then you could go to the next series and all of a sudden, you know, we make the finals in three years. You could put him on a Jokic. You could put him on an Embiid oh, and he can cover that. Yeah. That is you, just you think- yeah, yeah. He can play a bit of small ball five as well. I think absolutely. And a big, big comparison that I can sort of make, it's really fresh in my mind, is the way the Lakers played Jokic today. 
where yep. you had Hachimura, who's yep. 6'10", 230, 240, right? He was the body on Jokic, and they let AD roam. And roam, he cleaned up the boards, and he was yeah. such a disruptor every time he went to the rim. I see that same combination available with Walker and Miles. If it's not working, you know, with Miles playing him straight up, you switch him out. You let Miles float, do what he does best, better than anyone in the league, and that's just be that weak side defender. But if it comes down to it, Miles can take that front up spot and Walker can do the same thing. And the cool thing is, we've really struggled in the past when Miles gets into foul trouble early. You know, picks up two because he's trying to play physical. You don't have to worry about that with Walker. Miles picks up one, switch him. Miles picks up two, switch him. Same thing. Miles can be Miles, Walker can be Walker. And his small ball fight potential, um, it's it's exciting, really exciting. He's big enough and strong enough to more than cope. Well, the ringer has uh, Indiana drafting Walker. Uh, at uh, sorry, Henrik's at seven. The Athletic has us drafting Walker at seven. ESPN has us drafting your man Cam Whitmore, Alex, at seven. <laughs> I want to talk about Whitmore for a moment? I saw a photo of him like jumping uh, and reaching some sort of space station uh, last <laughs> week um, that I uh, that we discussed, and uh, I then saw his measurements, and he only measures at six six which would put him sort of in firmly in that shooting guard, small forward range. We just drafted one of those. Does the the height or lack thereof give you pause in your ability to see the fit that Whitmore would have on this team? Yeah, I don't even know if it's the the size with Whitmore. I think my biggest hang-up with him, at least with, with the paces, is all the concerns I have about him are the same things I had about Mather in a year ago. And I don't know how much you want, you know, two guys who really struggle with the assist to turnover ratio, who don't really create for the, the guys around them. And also the other thing is the Pacers want to make the playoffs and Whitmore's only 18, which is a positive, but also kind of scary because Rick Carlisle went through a whole year where he had to play Mather and 10 minutes some nights. If he gave up a backdoor cut, you're getting benched, right? So does he want to go through that again with a with a teenager, a guy that was born in the same year as Bronny James? Uh, that, that would be my only question. I think Whitmore goes higher than seven for what it's worth. But, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys agree, Woody, but to, to me, it, it's just uh, I worry about some of the turnovers he has are just – him dropping the ball randomly. You know, I just said we have Halbert, and so I don't really care much about the uh, the self-creation as much. Yeah, when it comes to Whitmore, he is quite similar to uh, to Matherin in terms of kind of gets a bit headstrong and does very similar things. But he's the he's the excitement pick. He's the one you, you take on a whim and you hope he becomes a superstar. Um, where I said the other two struggle bringing the ball up, and sort of, you know, making easy things happen in the open court. He's the opposite. He's flash, gets up and down the court, bounces over people, bounces through people. Not worried about the size, but the fit is the the small thing that concerns me. Like you said, Matherin and um, Whitmore are very similar, similar sizes. Um, I think the other two are more appealing, and I don't think the talent gap is that big where it really is worth making a reach to go and grab Whitmore on pure talent. I think the other guys are quite close. He was going to rank him, he'd be... I think Walker, Whitmore, Hendricks. Um, I think Whitmore's the most different out of all three. Is that because of your criticisms of Hendricks uh, that you mentioned earlier? Do you, do you think they're just so glaring that he's got the kind of the, the lowest floor 
I think he's the biggest bus potential. And yeah. I don't think his potential to be a superstar is any higher than the other two. That's my concern. I like Hendricks. I think he's he's got some really cool tools. He is self-creation away and a nice handle away from being a stud. It's like you he's know, really good. You know he's the really comp good. I saw for, for Hendricks was PJ Washington. I actually kind of like that comp. Yeah, 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 that's good. Yep. I think PJ Washington with a little with the shooting of like Michael Porter Jr. He's a little more free letting it go. That's a good comp because um yeah, I don't know. People have a weird idea about him. That he's, I know you're getting this... Adam excited with these Michael Porter comps, by the way. That's uh... <laughs> yeah. I just but you just see him. He just shoots everything. He, he just catches it and lets it go. And I can't get it out of my mind. I have another Denver comparison actually for okay. for Jarris Walker. I think um, I don't think I don't think he's the uh, well, well. I'm going to say Aaron Gordon, but I'm not talking about young Aaron Gordon coming out of the draft. I'm talking yeah. about now where he's more yeah. grounded. He's not that high flyer. Um, Bully ball, guards the bigs, does everything right, right spots, soft touch. I think he's Aaron Gordon, but just with a freakier frame. That's the way I kind of look at him, current Aaron Gordon. Going to be real specific say, about that. Yeah, I was just going to add as well with, with Walker, his most underrated skill set at his size is his playmaking to me. Yeah, for sure. He, he has some crazy good passes if you go watch his highlights. Sensible too. He just makes the right reads. He doesn't force things. Um, but... Yeah, Whitmore does get me excited. As soon as if I'm throwing on video and watching all three, Whitmore stands out. He's like the shade and sharp of this draft where you're like, damn, this guy could be anything. His highlights are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> he just bounces like crazy. And that picture of that touch in the space station, he's up high, man. He yeah. is such a jumper. Yeah, you, Adam, you have Adam, to look at that three, and be a little bit enamored. With, with the limited knowledge you have, if all three were available at seven, I'm throwing to you. Who are you taking, mate? I'm taking Walker based on everything you guys have told me. Oh, I mean, yeah. that, that guy just, that that excites me. Um, that that sort of prowess, that defensive prowess, the ability to change games with defense. I mean, that's exactly the type of player we need on the floor right now. And it's uh, it's that sort of ceiling of, you know, game changer on defense that, that you know, will complement the guys that we have in this core so perfectly. Um, I mean, he'll, he will have no shortage of work based on how we played last season. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, Woody, I, I want to ask you about Smokies and sort of your your mid to late first. If the Pacers end up keeping any of those late picks, either 26, 28, uh, 26, 29 or 32, is there a guy late that you sort of look at and say, wow, that would be a steal if he was able to drop to Indiana and they kept the pick? I did like C.D. Sissoko. He plays out here, I'm pretty sure, in the NBL. Um, but I think he's just climbing a little bit. Um, Chris Murray is one, but it's, that's just an easy comparison to make because we go and watch Keegan and, you know, they look the same. They're not really identical. Keegan's much better. Jordan Dawkins, sorry, Jordan Hawkins seems to be slipping. Pure shooter. I don't know what the fit would be. Um, Jackson Davis has the Indiana connection. I'm sure that'd be a hometown hero. Uh, I'm not massive on a lot of the players down towards the um, the back back end of the the draft, the first round. Rayon Rupert, he had crazy measurements at the combine. I mean, it's he's again, an alien. He's an alien, super raw, absolutely super super raw Frenchman. I mean, if we're not going to get the the best Frenchman in the league, let's go get the second alien. He's what is he like a six 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 seven wing with crazy wingspan and does some freaky things. He's he's a completely raw product. Like he'll take two or three years to be. Um, a really nice player, but if you're not taking him at the top of the draft, you can afford to wait. It's it's um I think it's a top heavy draft. People keep talking about it's deep. I don't think it's that deep. 
I think we're gonna it's gonna fall off really quickly. Maybe one or two okay role players around the back end of the draft, but I think once you get first the uh, past the first like eight or nine guys, it's um it doesn't look too perfect to be honest. I feel like as well there's there's kind of less teams that will be in the market to flood their rosters with young guys as well. I mean, you, you look at the the top end of the draft, maybe the Spurs, but they they probably don't have a hell of a lot to trade. Obviously, they they'll they'll draft at one, and then they'll just try and um, surround Wemby with with as much young talent as possible to kind of blossom, make that blossom. But I mean, I, I guess Charlotte probably has has a lack of young talent on their roster that they uh, need to add over the next couple of seasons. But you know, you look at the rest of the uh, the, the top sort of picks. Portland are going to want to potentially trade and contend. Houston, Detroit have got enough young players between those two teams as well as Orlando. So, you know, the the worst teams in the league, along with Indiana, Indiana is probably the, um, the one that could afford to draft two teenagers and play them a lot, although Kevin Pritchard's kind of loath to do so. But Alex, I, I feel like there just aren't many teams that I can see that might be in the market for 26, 29, 32. You're going to have to get really creative with packaging a player in one of those picks, two of those picks together in a future pick, something like that to be able to get what you need. Yeah, it's going to get, it's going to be interesting. I think Dallas at 10 is an interesting one just yep. because well, they obviously have to try to compete with Luca, so maybe they don't want to take a young guy and that can be your path up. Uh yeah, obviously we we never know. It's funny as well cuz I'm still seeing Miles in trade rumors. We're going to see Buddy in trade rumors. So when you talk about packaging players, it's going to be endless for the next month. I feel like we're going to see all these kind of, uh, you know, talks about this guy or that guy. I'm still seeing John Collins to the paces, which can we please stop? No, I just, I just no, want to get into it. that. I don't want it. <laughs> right here. Um, Wait, what would you rather? Okay, let's play. Who would you rather? Gordon Haywood on the paces or John Collins? On no, the- John Collins. John Collins. <laughs> Actually, how long does Gordon Haywood have left on his contract? But he's only got a year. That's why yeah. I it might actually yeah. be a better deal to get Haywood in the faces. Let's yeah, be do a Red Ants fan for a year, mate. Yeah. Gordon Haywood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, actually, let's do another one. Uh, John Collins or Grady Dick? Grady Dick. Grady, mate. Grady for Dick. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Wait, is that, is that based on the fact we take him at seven, seven? though? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nah. Oh. Yeah. Nah. Don't ask easy, <laughs> easy questions. Grady Dick at seven or John Collins at all? You'd take John Collins, wouldn't you? I'd take John Collins. He's, he's, you're getting something. Yep. Yep. Look, with all due respect to Grady Dick, we, we just don't like white guys. Not in, not in the draft. It's, not, it's not bad in the juju. draft and not in the paces. TJ Leaf kind of was the last straw. TJ McConnell's bringing it back there, actually. He is. He's been fantastic, but, but there can be only one, I feel. Um, so maybe if we trade TJ, we, there's there's room for Gordon Haywood to come back. I think that the scene. If we were to trade 26, 29, and 32 and ended up Grady Dick, I'd be cool with that. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fine. I mean, look, he's he's a hell of a shooter. I mean, he he would potentially in a cup in a year, maybe two seasons, make Buddy Spot uh, expendable if he you know grows into the role that you think that he's probably going to have at the pro level, which is which is great spot up shooter. Um, but yeah, I just I'm just scared of guys with just kind of one skill, and that's kind of it. Um, Do you think we'll trade Buddy this off season, or 
I think we will. So I think I think we will. I, I think he's he's on a pretty friendly contract, particularly to, to teams that are paying over the cap right now and into the tax. I think there will be suitors for Buddy, um, mm. and I think there will be teams that bat out of the playoffs far earlier than they expected to, like Golden State, uh, like Phoenix, that will be looking to get off big big money, and the Pacers could be a willing trade partner for them. Um, I think. You know, Golden State's got a hell of a lot more assets than, um, than than other teams. And I know that our friends at Setting the Pace did an entire episode on Jonathan Kaminga. But you have to consider the fact that do you do you eat, you know, a couple of years of Clay Thompson in order to get a Moses Moody into the team? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. But that that optionality is what we've spoken about. And and Woody, I mean, there's so many teams out there that have underperformed in the playoffs and bowed out. Uh, it's just a matter of what you can kind of extract from them in order to put them in a better financial position. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw it in the middle of the season almost with teams trying to rearrange and make desperation deals. And I think that's where we work best. I don't think we're great when we go looking for things, when we're, yep. we're targeting specific players. I think that's where teams usually come away overpaying. Um, I like us on the other end. I think every team's going to know um, we're going to be the first port of call to help get deals done. Everybody's going to be like, we want to do this deal on this deal. Let's call Indiana and see if they can help us make it work. Another thing is if there's a big free agent that comes along and nominates a team and they don't have the money, the Pacers have the money to make something work. And, you know, adding, you know, 18 million, taking back 25 just to make something work. What's that worth to a team if they're going to get a superstar, say Kyrie Irving? Um, you know, what's, you know, taking on a bunch of cap just to make that happen. Because at the end of the day, they're looking at that situation as we're getting a superstar and the Pacers are the only team that can make this work. And they're asking the two first round picks, are, they, are we going to do this? That's the sort of optionality. That's where we can target teams, um, make things work. I think if we were to go hard after, say, Jonathan Kaminga, I think that's where we can fall down a little bit. But if Golden State is shopping him, and, you know, we're in the running. I think we can put forward as good a package as anyone. We have a couple of win-now pieces and plenty of, um, you know, things to throw in to make them a little happier about moving on from a prospect like that. Absolutely. And, you know, we've got plenty of cap space. I mean, we've got a few cap holds for the likes of George Hill and, and those sorts of guys. But overall, we've got you know, $13 million of cap space, probably more than that, probably double that once we uh, rescind cap holds. The only team that can, or teams that can really rival that are Houston, San Antonio, and Detroit. Now, San Antonio, suddenly, all of a sudden, they're out on bad contracts because they will be setting themselves up for a run, you know, in the next three, four seasons with an otherworldly talent. Detroit, don't know. Uh, Dwayne Casey, uh, probably under a uh, hell of a lot of pressure, um, or was under a hell of a lot of pressure, and now they're kind of resetting. Houston resetting through a new coach as well. So, Alex, it, it's kind of in a situation where the Pacers can be a willing trade partner and they're probably one of the only willing trade partners with the cash. I was going to say, isn't half the league resetting with their head coach? It's kind of like the, yeah. the trend this offseason. Everyone's getting the boot. Um, yeah, look, the, the Pacers have a ton of assets. They have a ton of cap. I think this is going to be a big offseason for us just – uh, you know, obviously the goal is to make the playoffs. They have to add pieces to do that. I know that when Miles and Tyrese were healthy, we were a top six seed, but realistically we're going to have to add a couple pieces here and there. And 
again, I'm excited, man. Regardless of what happens, I'm excited to see what KP does because I said this a couple of episodes ago, but I don't think we've had an off season where we've had this much ammo and this much momentum with a player like Tyrese to to go into it and to make moves. Like it, we we've never had five picks in a draft uh, plus this much cap space. Like I said, it, it's going to be a huge one for the Pacers. It's going to be massive. And once I watch some YouTube clips, I'll have some <laughs> really strong opinions next episode. Woody, thanks again for joining us and for filling us in on potential draft targets. Uh, thank you for having me. It's always fun. We'll do it again soon. We've been the Pacers. We'll see you again next week.